so I was in college. I, I studied, I have a bachelor's in political science, which is not, um, you know, not the, not the jumpstart to a lot of careers. Really useful in D&D though. <laughs> uh, it, I have, I have made do with it in a non-professional setting. Welcome to Dungeons and Dinners, where the love of fantasy is food for thought. I'm your host, Brett Looney, and that was a sample from today's discussion with Manny over at Growed Up Geek on Twitter. Today, we talk about catering, DMing multiple streams, D&D as a love language, fusion food, and so much more. I'd like to preface this episode by saying that while it isn't inherently explicit, I would like to offer a short trigger warning as parts of the episode do discuss addiction issues and dealing with Nazis. If you want to hear a bonus, an explicit, full-length conversation with Manny after the main episode, or you just want to support the podcast in general to help fund future endeavors, consider making a donation over at patreon.com slash dungeonsanddinners. At the $5 level and above, you'll get access to exclusive bonus minisodes every week, as well as access to our complete catalog of prior bonus episodes. That's four additional episodes every single month at the $5 level and above. So if you enjoy our conversation today, don't forget to head on over to patreon.com slash dinners and help keep this podcast ad-free. Let's get on with the conversation. Welcome. Take a seat anywhere. Be right with you. And as I said, we have with us at the Dungeons and Dinners table today, Manny from at Growed Up Geek on Twitter. Manny, uh, really excited to have you here. Thank you so much for joining. Uh, thanks for having me. I've been really looking forward to this uh, for the last. Yeah, we've been we've been going back and forth on Twitter a little bit <laughs> in, the, in the DMs, you know. So really good to have you on. Um, for the uninitiated, please give us a little bit of synopsis of who you are and what you do in the TTRPG space. Um, yeah, um, Manny, 42 years old, he, him, uh, catering chef and uh, dungeon master and streamer on Twitch. Um, little Discord community to support that. Um, that's basically it. I, you know, I'm not uber famous and I don't know that I want to be. It's mostly just I... I want to engage with really cool people in, you know, like a very kind of intimate space through through streaming and through sharing TTRPGs. My my love language is running games for other people. That that's a, such a like I've loved that love languages have grown in like the ways that they are expressed. I think that's such a powerful statement to say, because I believe in that too. Like one of my love languages is cooking for people. Like if I cook somebody a meal, that is a special thing that I do. And it's outside of like, sure, you could say it like giving gifts or acts of service, but it really is its own thing for me. You know, I, I, I view it as both like an act of service and an act of like giving something. I've the services I've, you know, given you my time and all this effort behind the scenes to prep it. And then in a, like the physical, not physical, but like the actual thing that you get out of it is, is the enjoyment. Um, and right. you know, I, I, I cook for a living. I'm a wedding caterer. You know, my, my everyday existence is predicated on the idea of my hard work providing a great enjoyable time for somebody and i i i believe it yeah you know it's a lot of hours and it's hard work and i where i live it's hot it is oppressively hot where i live and we're out there 10 hours a day doing this so that other people can have a great wedding day and it's it's cliche and it's all these things but i believe it and then when i'm not doing that i get to do it in the you know in the tabletop space with you know my friends where it's the same thing. A lot of hours, you know, long days, uh, 
you know, looking far in advance. I got stuff working on the channel for months from now. Um, and it's just this all encompassing thing. And it comes together in my professional life on a wedding day and in my, you know, kind of other side life on, on game days on, on the channel. And that, like, I just, it, it, it just, it carries through from one to the other. And I just, I love both of them so much. I think that you, you've probably coming through as one of the most qualified, uh, combinatorial D and D and dinners guests mm -hmm. of having, having an active job as a chef and an active partaking as a DM. So, um, boy, I, I see this, I see this going a lot of places. Yeah, <laughs> I, like I said, it could go. E it could go either way. Uh, hey, what's your favorite TTRBG dinner scene? I'd love to do Strahd's dinner. I think that would be rad. You know, that would be just, really cool. <laughs> I, I just, I've always thought it was a cool kind of mechanic. That was just, I, I was a, like, it's perfect for me. I did a chunk of uh, food in Barovia, like like a menu from the poor to the rich for Barovia, and and what would grow there, what would be imported, and stuff like that. And that was just really fun to take a moment and think about like like I, I i believe in not necessarily i used to plan everything down to the nth degree in like my home brews and stuff and i believe in not having to do that now mostly because i don't have the time but every now and again it's cool to put a magnifying glass on the smallest area possible and see what you can kind of come up with when you do that when you take a really close look at how the social structure of this one tiny 50 person town. Like I want every person's name and who's, who's in love with who and who's scolded by whom. And like all of the little interpersonal details or all of the food that's there. Like I, I love taking the moment to just look at things like that. Cause I think it can spawn some really interesting interactions either just in my head or on, on the tabletop. I just bought, um, a book that's basically uh how to you know how to make your tavern encounters more you know fulfilled and you know more fleshed out and i originally thought it was just going to be a collection of cool people you know mysterious you know the mysterious stranger on the corner a bunch of options for that and it really got into the food that they would serve and what the cook would you know, the disposition of the guy working in the kitchen, the person working in the kitchen, and then the types, the types of drinks, not just, oh, here's your ale, here's your, you know, wine or whatever else exists in your world, but really like put it down to just absolutely everything, probably 30, 40 options for each kind of thing. And as somebody who, you know, works in that kind of field, I thought it was interesting that like, I'd never really put the effort into that to just go, Hey man, you know, a little bit about this. Um, why are your taverns? So whatever. And this, you know, I, I'm not going to say that everybody's going to have, you know, a 12 course tasting menu, like totally like prepared in case the, you know, party's feeling froggy. It's going to be much more just like thinking about it. Um, made me go, Hey, there is something kind of cool about the, the real, like details of a tavern um it might be specific to groups my group my group actually you know kind of enjoys tavern life and in our second session i had no idea so i did not have one prepped and they're like let's go to the bar and i was like oh and it, it absolutely <laughs> it absolutely showed it just it exposed me it was bad 
I just, I was so embarrassed. It was the second session with a bunch of people I'd never met before. Um, right. And I was just like, oh my God. Um, and now as a result, I was like, all right, man, look, they, they like taverns. So, you know, kind of get into it. And Grow the, and adapt. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Thank God they stuck around. Don't let it happen again. And the kind of getting like really into the details of like the food. Um, you know, everybody's been to a bar. It's a, there's an, a real kind of real placement to that. And in the tavern, you know, everybody's been out. And whether you know a, a lot about food and how it's prepared or anything, you do know that you like food and that you've been somewhere right. that there was something you really enjoyed. And in whatever capacity you can express that, you can tell me why you loved it. And, well, and there's so many like themes that you can dig off of too, but, but continue, go ahead. Um, you know, and so you get this idea that just like with anything and kind of in the tea, you just kind of have to throw it out there and see what your players gravitate to. And the ones who like going to the tavern, it's probably, you know, food or at least the, you know, the booze perception of it. And so put some, put some time into the, into the drinks. They are, you know, role plays, either you play, you know, you heroic, you, or, you know, kind of an, an intentionally not you. And so, you know, you learn a lot about the people that are playing with you so that you can better craft things for them by seeing what they would order. All right. You know, what do I know about this, the person playing this character do I, does he strike me as somebody who would order wine? If yes or no, then this is, this is role play. It's a subtle way of telling me role play that you're not just being you, you're being, you're inhabiting the character and your, your drink selection shows that. And in order to kind of elicit that from them, I have to give them real options. It can't just be the assumption that like, oh, we only have one thing and it's ale. Okay. Right. They're not going to, they don't have a lot to run off of with that. Or, but if you're yeah. like, this is this is the uh, a themed bar. It's a, the 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 owners are a little bit bougie, and it's an orc elf fusion bar. So all of the all of the meals are like you know mutton leg on the bone, but with you know saffron yeah. <laughs> and like you know whatever you, and like being able to play with and and the drinks are all like maybe rough and tumble names, but served in ritzy glasses or, you know, very fine wines served in rough, you know, bone glass, like some being able to play with those types of, like, cause those are things that you see in the real world. You see all types of like, I, I just recently came back from uh, a vacation where there was a lot of kind of Irish pub inspired places, but they would have, kind of fusion menus like it's an irish pub so they've got you know some fish and chips or whatever but they've got also maybe an asian spin and so you've got this kind of irish asian fusion pub and the decor kind of matches that the the people that are there are going to be you know if it's more of a biker bar you're going to have your rough and tumble types but that doesn't mean that the cook is always angry like the cook is always angry trope can can like working with cooks. I'm sure you've met all spectrum of like, there's always the one that cooks way too much at home. And so they're always bringing in the like, dude, you got to try this. I just spent, I spent forever on this. And it, it's usually amazing, but that's like, make that the guy that's in the kitchen who, before they take your order, before the, the waitress can come to your table 
the cook's like, oh, I see there's some new people here. You got to try my jerky. Like, you got it. It's great. I've been working so hard at, like, giving out free samples and whatever. Like, those kinds of characters you can pull from the real world to to keep from having some of these overused tropes and cliches. Because I think there are so many personality types, even in the kind of stereotypical types. There are so many that, that don't see the light of day on the tabletop a lot. And if if nothing else, it it gives everybody kind of an opportunity to to not just kind of sit at the tavern and just kind of look around and go, okay, that's the mysterious guy. Let's go see what he's about. Um, it's it you know if we go back to the orc and elf thing, there there's a lot of space for them to just have a reaction to that, you know, conceptually and go, hey, this seems exceptionally odd of a pairing. And that could that can be a thing, and then you know use the dungeon master get to come back with that, and it all started just because you decided that you know it's not just going to be the whatever the bar is from Lord of the Rings where the hobbits meet um, <laughs> Aragon like that like that to right. me is the is the just absolutely central casting version. Instead, they can't get to Aragon because the cook is in their way trying to, like, get them to try everything. (laughs) Right. You know, hey, that's our mysterious stranger. He's obviously acknowledged us. Like, oh, hey, can I? No, 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 guys. I I don't trust you. you. Now I've got this cheese. I don't want your pate, man. Just give me a second. Um, (laughs) What, you don't like my pate? You don't want to eat here? Why'd you come here if you don't want to (laughs) eat? Look, man, this isn't a high-pressure sales, all right? Um, I'll be with you in a second. Mysterious stranger, you're not sitting in the corner. How long How long has he been sitting there to make sure his table didn't get taken? That's, that's He's actually not a mysterious stranger. He just doesn't want to talk to the cook. Yeah, he's, I, I get it. He's your regular. I'm here to see him, all right? Can I just go do the thing? Um, and if and if they don't really take you know much from it, that's that's fine. You still you know, kind of elevated your, your game and your concept of instead of just, okay, here's another, you know, bar, uh, one mysterious stranger, probably somebody's too drunk, maybe a fight that just happened, probably city card, you know, just the kind of basic tropes. And it's, you know, they're not malicious. They're not lazy. It's just, and unless your, you know, adventure session, whatever is, is themed around taverns, they are, you know, kind of, a necessity but not really advancing the plot and by doing these things you're not advancing the plot any further but you're just not making it just this kind of like we're, we're just going to push this off but to the is, side yeah it does help establish the the liveliness of the world though like like that person may not be very important but they it can be a love the food hate the theme sort of thing like they absolutely hate everything about this bar but that lamb teriyaki it, it's really actually very good <laughs> so they sit in the corner and they face away and try to ignore the terrible bard music and all of the horrible decor and the annoying cook and the overly bubbly waitress and just want their teriyaki in peace <laughs> and i i think some of it speaks to just the kind of generic nature i think the bar trope really suffers as a result of kind of the emphasis on forgotten realms where it's it's not that it's generic. It's much more that it's just homogenous or at least, you know, kind of portrayed as such. And I'm, I'm about to do an Eberron uh, campaign, which is very like geopolitical driven. And each nation has its own 
you know, essentially its own culture, despite sharing a kind of overarching um, shared, you know, heritage. Um, and one of the things I absolutely want to do is make sure that one nation feels different from another. And it's, it's, a, it's a hard thing to do when there's not, you know, very clear lines drawn up. And one of those ways, just, you know, as we keep going about this, is the, the food that they would serve at a bar. An Italian cafe and a French cafe are not going to serve the same things. They right. will have some overlap and they'll conceptually be the same, but they will not be the same things. And, well, and there may be places that don't generally serve a lot of food that serve tapas and tea where you don't go to you don't go to a cafe for a full meal. You don't go. There's no restaurants here, but there's plenty of tea shops that will serve small snacks and people just kind of eat throughout the day. Like, right. And it, like I said, it doesn't advance the plot any but it gives you it gives your world a lot more fleshed out and oh yeah it, and it's there are things that anybody can draw on you know it it looks obvious to you and I who discuss you know our worlds overlap and dungeons and dragons and food and that kind of space but to anybody like i said anybody's been out to eat you know what's good and even if you don't you know I'm professional I've been doing this for 27 years if you if you don't know how everything works you know what you like and you you know the other side of the coin is you know what you don't like and those are two very strong things to kind of build from even if you don't have the idea of like what are two fusion concepts that would seem intentionally weird to elicit that a reaction of wow that sounds odd if if you don't know those things that's fine you can just play off of what you do know what you like what you don't like and and build from from there to to just flesh out your your world a little bit even if it's something neat that you saw you're like oh, that was pretty cool yeah. let's do that your favorite put your favorite coffee shop in a game or just put your favorite decor like i think you know the, i've been to tons of places and many of them not even necessarily a, a, a food location but just like themed shops or places that have you know you go into like a, a record store or, uh, uh, you know, a place that caters to like punk rock and metal bands and just the shirts and the really old posters, like have a place that has posters from bards that are like weathered, like, like, oh, those, those are printed posters for bards that played 40, 60, a hundred years ago. Classic and this place is rock. just right. Like <laughs> classic bard rock cafe. Exactly. Like, like have, you know, that's the loot of, you know balgus the red like you know his red I, got, I, got into, I got into being a bard because of Jimi hendrix like you know that kind of thing. like it's the second i heard him play at that tavern i knew that that's what i had to do i knew that was yeah. my calling um the very, <laughs> that was yeah that was the you know that defining moment that just um and then that bar becomes famous because that guy goes becomes a hero and comes back like you know plays as i played my first show here for beer and now, you know, I'm bringing the money back to this place. I loved you up, since like... the beginning. <laughs> I was a hipster about you. I loved it before it was cool. Um, yeah, I just, it's it's those little things that I, I really kind of started to appreciate that you don't have to reinvent the wheel in combat, like combat mechanics and those kinds of things. I mean, you can if you want, obviously. Yeah. Um, but the you know you see and you know the obvious analogy is critical role just because it's the one everybody's most familiar with um right it's not 
it's not the definitive you know work on you know stream or a live play but it's it's definitely the one that people are most familiar with it's a it's a friends or a seinfeld like it is a pop culture established foundation to to reference and i i i tried to watch it i i really have um for me i love a lot of things about it the the pacing and the simple amount of content is just it's more than i can it's more than i can do it is a lot um if you know you were to break it up into like 30 episode chunks um and call it a campaign i could probably consume that 170 episodes can't do it four hours yeah. a piece can't can't do it i'm sorry I, i'd like to i wish i could i and, was lucky that i got in basically right when season two dropped okay and so i was like two episodes were out when i discovered it and so it's a little bit easier to keep up with but still it i didn't listen to podcasts for like a year because four hours took me a week to get through yeah and in mowing the lawns and driving to work <laughs> like and I, you know, the the one thing I have watched a lot of is a lot of the kind of more like emotional moments, um, particularly with uh, Liam, who I think is absolutely uh, just brilliant. Right. And I, I look at these things and I see them. Some of them I have context for. Some of them I just I do not. I just haven't watched the show. And I I look at it and I was like, I I bet you a lot of these things were not obviously mechanical choices it's not like man matt's monster selection was on point and it's that in and of itself led to this emotional moment that it's it's something that might you know when matt's conceptualizing might have been something that wasn't the thing he was going to emphasize you know about whatever it was the one thing maybe the player latched onto and just over time kind of grew on and you never know what that little thing is going to be. And if there's no little things, then they might not get attached. You might not get right. that, that moment, um, you know, or a version of it. If you have this great NPC, but there's nothing that the players want to gravitate onto, that's all lost potential. And all you have to do, even if it doesn't mean anything, just make something weird for the sake of being weird. I had a... Just well, I, no, I was just going to real quick say, like, I love that that's a part of character creation now is the trinket, like rolling a D100 for a trinket and you get some it's a pennies valued item, but it's just something that you don't have to use it. You don't have to write it down if you don't want it, whatever. But some people sometimes may go suddenly this defines something about my character's backstory. Like suddenly this is more important than just the carving of a of a dove. Like, why do I have that? How did I get it? Where did it? And so like, you just start building onto it and all of a sudden it's some integral part of your character when it's the most pointless part of character creation argumentatively from like a rules perspective. It's probably like the very last thing too. Like, mm -hmm. all right, look, man, we just have one more little question. Just roll this D100 and just pick something like it or don't, whatever. You're almost done. Right. Just just do it. Uh, I, I also too just recently um, looked at that. And I remember just kind of browsing through it. And one of the things that I saw was um, an antique coin. And, and I don't know, I don't know why it stuck with me just in the kind of list. I was like, oh, let's see what's on it. Yeah, it's kind of cool, you know, weird feather, whatever. 
And then probably like day or two later, I'm watching something, I don't remember. And, you know, almost the, it's almost kind of a trope as well, but it's the guy standing with like his back against something and he's just standing there just flipping a coin. And the flipping of the coin usually kind of implies something. There's, there's always something about somebody who's just kind of standing there flipping a coin. And I just, the two things kind of, you know, hit in my head. And I was like, that's the coin. Because when I looked at it in the table, I'm going, all right, so I have a coin in my pocket. I have a lucky quarter. I have a, you know, a double-sided nickel. Unless, you know, Two-Face, Harvey Dent, um, for the most part. But when you just do it like that, you're you're just either, you know, the kind of smug, whatever, just kind of flipping the coin. I was like, that was, I was like, that was, I was like, that was a minor detail that absolutely sold you know, kind of the initial impression of the person doing it that I saw. And I, just like we've been saying, that little, that little detail, just that little tiny thing can just absolutely either make or break something. And the coin probably wasn't even a big takeaway from the right. writer and the producer's perspective. But that's what I grabbed onto. And that's when I was like, all right, I know who that guy is. Prior to that, like, oh, he's dressed in all black. Yeah. You know, you, way to, way to, you know, kind of subvert expectations you guys but the coin just standing there flippantly just ding 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 just like really hit home and i was like all right man uh." um and i like i said i was just like that was the tiniest little detail it 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 was in a d100 table with a bunch of other stuff that i thought was just as valuable and i dismissed it and i saw it and it absolutely and it absolutely worked on me it did it just was like here here, here's your coin that you dismiss damn it all right Right. Like it's it's one thing. It's it's easy to turn it into the. It's actually the uh, thing that kills the bad guy like the I don't know, I think with the coin, I think the platinum chip from Fallout 76. I don't know if you're much of a video gamer. I am um, uh, not. Not I, Fallout I, so it's a, but an integral part of the story that seems kind of pointless at first. Right. Like it's actually a very powerful MacGuffin, but you don't know that um like but i think that that's too easy and i don't think that that's what the d100 table is for it's not list of it's not table of powerful MacGuffins for your character yeah it's here's trinkets the... it's doodads it's gadgets it's fi- it's a fidget spinner it's like <laughs> which could that can define like my character didn't have anxiety but now they do now they're obsessive compulsive they don't flip the coin because they're trying to look cool they have to count a number of coin flips equal to the number of signposts they saw that day or something like, like, and now all of a sudden there's a depth of character that's, that exists that just wasn't there before. And like I said, it started with a D 100 table. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I think if you believe in random tables, you know, the math basically says the more that you have the kind of lesson sort of intrinsic value each each one possesses look man we got to bang out a hundred of them like these are yeah. not all going to be like just top winners <laughs> top two thought here uh, we're going to depend on you to do a lot of the work with these things especially if you stick to it and especially if your kind of concept is built on i i want to i want to just randomize this um i played in a stream game with uh, a group at the end of last year that one of the players absolutely rolled everything random uh, out of the out of the back of Tasha's uh, or not Tasha's uh, Xanathar's, and no concept whatsoever. Just let the dice make the decisions and built 
this really kind of incredible character out of it where I'm over here, you know, the forever DM getting a chance to play, like planning every little aspect of what my divination wizard was going to be. And he's like, yeah, man, let's just see what we get. Woo! Like, scream at you. Cool. Um, ooh, dead parrots. Yeah, all right. Those kind of fit together, you know. And I'll, it's I'll like, roll for the letters of my name. Yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> I'll a just out of the Scrabble bag. It's, that's actually not a terrible idea. If you need a random knit, just pull like 10 tiles out of a Scrabble bag because you'll get some vowels, you'll get some I, consonants. I, I, I like, always end up with like a dragon's name and be like, Jesus, it's <laughs> how do I get six X's? I was like, I'll use them this many X's. In a, in a and an apostrophe. I didn't think an apostrophe would be in. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, I got to play more so, Scrabble. I didn't know there was all this. Right. <laughs> Where did else? Is I <laughs> Bananagram's bag? Like. <laughs> um so and you mentioned man i've, I've got to jump all over i've got to jump all over some okay. so gear shift uh you mentioned so you're currently a wedding caterer is that is this kind of the culmination of a number of years of cooking did you go to school for it or did you like i did not i happened into culinary by luck and necessity really but <laughs> what's your what's your backstory there um i was Attending college, I got my undergraduate degree working at uh, the local the local places in town. Uh, by the end of my undergrad, I was a bartender. So I went to a large university with only three bars um, in the town for an undergraduate enrollment of like fifty thousand. So, so you were pretty well known. <laughs> and, and we all we always make that joke that it was it it might be relatively the most famous I've ever been. Um, everybody yeah. knows yeah. your name yeah <laughs> like people people know your schedule like hey aren't you <laughs> right. aren't you the third bartender on wednesday night upstairs like thank you god i can't remember what my shift was yeah, i appreciate I know, right? that <laughs> and who are you again though yeah and I, yeah like okay, look it. man oh. there's 300 people in this tiny ass bar i love to make small <laughs> talk with you i'm sure we have history together um you know i don't whatever um so i was in college i i studied i have a bachelor's in political science which is not um you know not the not the jump start to a lot of careers really useful in D &D, though (laughs) Uh, i have i have made do with it in a non-professional setting uh after that um i went to film school i got a master's degree in film studies uh once again, not the most lucrative. <laughs> but again, um, pretty useful in D&D. Like. <laughs> I've worked in restaurants the whole time. Um, after graduate school, I moved to Florida. I became a classic French uh, apprentice with a, an older uh, chef, survived Nazi-occupied France. Um, this is how he was taught. He, he grew up in Lyon. And uh, he... he, he taught me everything in the course of two years where at first I was only allowed to like cut vegetables and that's what I would do all day. And if it took me a couple of hours and he would walk by and he would look at my work and go about his day. And if at the end I'd be like, Hey chef, I'm done. Um, he'd come over and he'd look at it. If it wasn't good enough, he'd throw it in the trash. I'd be like, man, you knew this was too big two hours ago. And yet you let me continue wow. and you threw it in the trash and I had to start over. And yeah, yeah. Um, and he was like, he was like five feet tall. He was like 70 years old. He was mean as hell. 
Um, <laughs> just, I just, just this tornado. You of, just had a real like, Mr. Miyagi, like evil Mr. Miyagi moment there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just like, you know, Ratatouille, the Disney film, like really hits home for me because, you know, my teacher was kind of an amalgamation of all of those like chefs in the kitchen. He's like I say, he's, he was like five feet tall and he's in his seventies. He was angry. Um, he hoarded everything, uh, byproduct of living through, um, Nazi occupation. It's just, you just hold on to everything. And he, he taught me for, for two years, um, yelled at me in French. Um, spoiler alert. I did not speak French at the time. Uh, also spoiler alert. It mattered not to him. Um, I'm sure the gist came across. Sure. Sure. I, it, you know, not a lot of ambiguity in uh, our communications, despite the language barrier. And um, I, I took it really seriously. I was, I, I really liked it. I was, I was good at it. Um, and I, that was 25 years old when I finished. And then for the next couple of years, just kind of figured it out. Worked, uh, worked at a hotel, which I kind of dug. I wish I'd taken it more seriously. I was a little too young. Worked for the Ritz Carlton. Oh wow! Wish I, I wish I'd taken it a little more seriously. Um, bounced around restaurants, did catering once. Thought it was weird. Like, I mean, half cook something. What the hell does that mean? It's either right. it's either cooked or it's not. And mm. didn't appreciate that. Did restaurants and then moved to uh, Charleston, South Carolina, where I live now. And uh, it is a, it is a wedding destination. And yeah. uh, I've been here thirteen years. Uh, Eleven of it I've done mostly uh wedding catering it's, it's big business and then for two years i was executive chef of a restaurant in the like the restaurant district here um that was that was the culmination of like my my career that i wanted to be uh an executive chef of a restaurant in a in a big market you know we're not new york we're not la we're not vegas but for for where we car. are charleston <laughs> yeah. charleston's charleston's food scene's a big deal and I got to I got to run uh, a restaurant, uh, like a pretty significant one, for a couple of years before I got married and had a baby. Uh, my wife and I had a kid, and after that, eighty-hour weeks and you know working until three in the morning wasn't going to cut it. So I went to wedding catering, which is you know half the week I'm home by two o'clock in the afternoon, and then the other half of the week I work a fifteen-hour day because I have to drive right. one hundred and fifty miles to you know, God knows where to do this wedding and then drive back at the end of my day. And I've, after that, I traded to, uh, I'm currently at an on-site uh, catering company that owns four uh, historic Charleston properties. And we do all the food for those. And so it's a lot more limited. We don't have to chase the business. We don't have to drive two hours because you want us to. We, it's They're a much- coming to you. And that's the thing. And it's, it's a much more powerful position based on that. Like, not only do we have your food, we have your historic mansion in, right. in downtown Charleston. So it's a, it's a lot more forgiving and because it doesn't involve the logistical nightmare that is offsite catering. And where I, you have to hike three miles once you park to get to the, the deep or, forest location. <laughs> Yeah. And it's, you know, where we live, there's a lot of cooking in like literally a middle, the middle of a field. And mm-hmm. how do you keep food cold? How are you, you know, handling food safely? How are you keeping your people hydrated? Cause it's 105 degrees. It's 90% humidity. Oh, there's the water right there. And 
we're here for eight hours out in the sun, baking in this tent. And I traded that for like, hey, I'm going to put you in this big part of this giant house. You're going to stay there. Food goes right there. You get in the car and you drive home. And it's, it is the perfect situation for me right now. Wife, kid, not wanting to do the 80 hour weeks, but not prepared to, not prepared to change what I do. I, I, well, I'm, no. And I think I'm good at it and I like it. And this is the, this is basically the best, the best scenario I can get for, for what I do essentially. No, that is, that is a, like, I, I think that's such a great combination, like way to go about it. I think that catering, I I've got a couple other buddies that are, that are doing, uh, starting a catering business and the, but it's an upper echelon catering business. They cater very small parties, a uh, lot more affluent people and they charge a lot more for it. Um, so that partially it, it helps with, uh, like FDA type stuff because there's limits on the number of people you could serve before you have to have all sure. of your like your certifications and have your your workspaces you know checked and and they don't have a brick and mortar yet but it's also they don't both of them have other gigs this is more of a hobby for them so they don't need to make ridiculous amounts of money and they can just cook what they want and serve kind of stranger food, more expensive food, get a play with some of the more like when you're catering something that is lower middle budget, you are cooking to lower middle budget. And for experienced cooks that still want to do it as a hobby, for some people, the fun is getting to experiment with wild, expensive flavors or weird combinations. So they're, they're doing that. I think that's awesome. And I think that, uh, that, that catering is kind of, not that it's necessarily even looked down upon, but I think it's kind of glossed over as an option for for cooks. Um, there are a lot of advantages to to being in the catering scene. That there are some you know things that you have to deal with depending on the type of catering. Like you said, there it's a lot more travel or uh, cooking with sternos and half cooking is not necessarily is something to kind of get used to. Um, but I think that that one of the things that you don't have in catering. And I, and I talked to one of my other friends about this recently too. It's, it's funny how many of these things are coming up is uh, he is uh, like an executive chef at a, at a restaurant and he's pulling the 80 hour weeks and it's getting, it's cutting into, you know, friend and family time. And there's not a lot of people out there outside of the cook world that understand what a clopin is where you are at two o'clock in the morning, you are scrubbing, a week's worth of grit off of fry vents and you have to be back at 6 a.m. to prep all of the food that you just used. So have fun with your three and a half hours of sleep. <laughs> I worked for the uh, top caterer here in town. Um, they won best caterer in town for like 20 straight years and absolutely deservedly so. And the cool thing about it that I didn't, really appreciate until I left to go work at the restaurant was the variety of the food that we produced. And, you know, you've got, you've got your staples, you got your basics that, you know, everybody gets, but because of the way that the owner ran it, for the most part, if you came to us with like three words written on a napkin and been like, Hey, my wedding hinges upon you turning this obscure concept into the past hors d'oeuvre of my life. We would go, all right, hell yeah, give it to me. We'll, 
we got this. We got this. <laughs> and as a result, the kind of ingenuity and the things that we would do or because some of it's client client to us, we want this. Okay, we can make that happen. And then some of our more creative chefs were, they had these ideas in their heads that they waited for somebody, the right person to come in and say, hey, I've got X amount of dollars. I want our wedding to be you know, unique or we want something nobody's ever done before or you know, what blow our minds. Right. And then they would come Bring up with us something new. Yeah. And then you would, you would pitch, you know, these ideas that sound from chef to chef. You're like, man, that sounds really cool. Don't ever, don't ever sell that here. I'm not doing <laughs> it. I'm not doing it for 200 people, man. Like right. I, I get it. And then some of them would work and you would, the client would go, yes, yes. I want you to poach a fish. I want you to peel the skin off and then I want you to put it back together. So it's basically just a whole skinless fish. Except the fish is 17 pounds and uh, you sous vide it for like two days. And it, if you understand what any of those words mean to anybody listening, that conceptually is very kind of an odd, cool thing. I wish I could convey the pictures of it through, <laughs> uh, through audio. And you don't get to do that in a restaurant. Like I was, I was, no. the, executive, I was the executive chef and it was my menu except for the fact that it wasn't because ownership has to have a say and that's right. kind of just the way it goes. And even the things that I won that I got to put on that were mine or mine and my, my sous chefs, I'm bored of cooking a man. I'm like, Oh, this again, yep. scallops and risotto again. And <laughs> I, I, you can't just change the menu. Every no, week. especially when it becomes a hot seller. It messes with the budget. Um, it, it, mm -hmm. there's a bunch of reasons why you can't, um, and that was a hard thing to kind of get in, you know, kind of wrap my head around the, the seemingly limitless nature of the executive chef. I, you know, I ruled this, this kitchen to uh, ownership. Well, let me do that. Oh, uh, it's not within the budget. Uh, you know, uh, the bookkeeper said, it's like the, the, the bookkeeper says, can't throw the rule book out. <laughs> and you're like, and you're like, oh, oh, oh God, being an executive chef just means that they tell me no. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Uh, and um, I, I didn't appreciate that. There were things about it that I liked. Um, I, I loved going to the same place every day, just parking right. out back, going inside, doing my work day, coming out, getting in my car and driving home. Like that was it. I, there's I, something to be said for the, like, of course there's always, I think a lot of depictions of kitchens often depict the nightmare scenario of some sort and even a lot of memes that's where the most shock sure. value and humor is sure. but there really is I, I don't think it can be conveyed in really maybe a video game but no other kind of medium the feeling of a well-oiled machine night where like everyone is so on their game and there are hot pans missing people by inches, knives that are not cut it. Like nobody gets hurt, nobody's injured, but everything is so such a fine razor's edge of a close call where like one misstep is disaster and the whole thing falls down like a house of cards or a bunch of dominoes, but it doesn't happen and everything's on point. Like that feeling is it's special. I don't know. I don't know how else to describe it. I, I, I can totally agree with that, that rush. Um, 
I, in a moment of just complete honesty, I had addiction issues in my twenties and now that I'm older and, you know, I've, I've kind of moved past them. When I, when I think about it, the closest that I've come to, you know, whatever your brain tells you when you're an addict is the same thing I got from being in a kitchen later in life when I was, when I was clean. And it, it, I, you know, people who are addicted to cocaine cannot express to you in words why they were. It just, there was something in, you know, internally that you just, you just needed that feeling. And I understand that. And just like that, I needed that feeling. You don't get it in catering. You don't, it's not the same. Everything is very regimented and planned. We start doing this at this time. We finish at this time. We move on to the next course at this time. Where a restaurant, uh, a restaurant's at 100 and, I think like 140 uh, and 15 seats at the bar. They all coming in at different times, ordering at different times. It is, it's, you know, all of those memes where somebody's just throwing infinite things at somebody and you're managing to dodge it like the matrix. Yep. Except it's not one person. It's five of 12 us. servers against yeah, five cooks <laughs> yeah it's five of us it's not imaginary wrenches you're throwing at us it's the it's the ticket machine printing out 12 tops of bachelorette parties and all yep. these other things and, and special and, orders and food yeah. allergies and hey can i get a vegan omelet yeah <laughs> I, I i uh no just just tell <laughs> just them no that. just tell them no <laughs> and I just, I look at it and that's something I definitely miss. Like I, I felt like it's one of those things that when people go through, have a shared experience and that, that number of people is very small. I'm sorry. I'm just thinking like, I can't, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I can't get over thinking about in a D and D tavern, the waitress ordering the thing that's been 86 forever and that's setting off the chef and like the players whatever the players order <laughs> the special was it has been they've been out of the fish for an hour and a half <laughs> in my home game uh pre-covid which was all made up of catering co-workers nice. and uh, they ended up latching onto this npc um who was an arms dealer out of luskin who I role played like Paris Hilton meets Tony Stark. So it was a lot of like, okay. like, oh my God, I have a big shipment of spears to Luskin this week. <laughs> um, and they just they just latched onto her. And she was a person of prominence. And one of the other big NPCs was the son of Lord Never Ember. So uh, a marriage of convenience and alliance was was meshed. And I did it to write her out of the campaign because they were like, let's go see her. And like, look, right. man, I get it. You guys like the Paris Hilton thing, but no. Now and she's so I was like, Yeah, I was like, she's getting married to Lord Never Ember's kid. Uh, so she's gone. She's gone, y'all. And they were like, we're going to go crash this wedding. I'm like, what? Oh, no. They're like, no, man, we're going to go crash this wedding. I was like, ha, ha, ha. I was like, they're like, no. No, we're, we're no, that's we're, the next quest. You write. I was, I was like, look, you guys, like there are giants terrorizing the sword coast. I was like, there are dragons everywhere. Like, nope, we're we're going to crash this way. Cool. There's gonna Fine. be really high-end guards at the wedding. Fine. You will go to jail. <laughs> so they crashed the wedding, which was already just a just a cluster as it was. 
And they're like, so what's what are the past hors d'oeuvres? And I was like, I knew you guys were going to ask this. So I had I had some because we all worked in the same place. They were basically right. just fantasy writs on stuff that we served at the catering company. And they would do all of the things that like the kind of needy guests do. So they're standing <laughs> so they there got making, to their, they got to role play their fantasy. Of yeah, Karen's just total, and total, total role reversal. I was like, so what do you guys do when you get into the reception? They're like, we'll find the bar. And like over the bar and like talking to everybody. Um, like a past hors d'oeuvre, a tray of past hors d'oeuvres comes up. They're like, what is it? I told them what it is. Like, take it. Like, is it warm? And I was like, it's hot. They're like, is it though? Like, don't, don't. I was like, don't start with me. I was like, this is my fun time. I'm doing this for you guys. Do not do this to me at work. And then one of them's like, is it gluten free? Um, any vegan options? And I was like, you guys, already, you know, can I have really- a vegetarian steak? Yeah, I'm sorry I didn't tell you uh, like it, when I RSVP'd, but they're like, we actually crashed this wedding, so we didn't list our dietary restrictions. Um, and I just, I, it's I thought- It's sword coast. I'm allergic to shellfish. Yeah, I, I saw this. I, I was just, I was like, you guys are great. But that was one of those opportunities where they were just like, yep, we're just going to do this. We're going to make you write this wedding. We're going to crash it. So don't, don't worry about You're coming up You're taking away our favorite Paris Hilton character. Yeah. I was like, you guys, this was, I was like, look, both of them were throwaway NPCs that you guys just fell in love with. And, um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> like I'm, I, it was totally by accident. I wasn't like, man, you guys are going to love Paris Hilton, Tony Stark. Right. And Lord never Again, ends. It's that, it's that, that thing that the players latch onto, like those moments, it's not integral to the plot, No, but it's such a release. It's such an adventure and you can't you can throw plot it if the players lead it enough it just becomes plot you don't get a say anymore i, <laughs> I didn't and the the one thing that they taken was that it, this is from uh water deep dragon heist or carryover from water okay. deep dragon heist um with uh rainier never ember i believe and he has a friend one of them gets kidnapped being mistaken for the other and at the time I made uh, Rainier and his friend a couple and just to, just to kind of, you know, spice it up. There's no reason why they can't be, um, yeah. you know, one guy looking out for his partner under the subterfuge of, Hey, you got robbed because he looks like me. You know, I re- just right. really care about my friend and, you know, they gravitated towards that. And then when you make that, and like I said, that's like the first session. So they, that was been a part of his character the whole time. He was also a prominent character. And then you make it that his, you know, he's the kind of ostracized black sheep uh, living in Waterdeep and just spending his dad's money on a spite. And then you take that, who they're already on board with. They're like, yeah, stick it to the old man. And then you throw them together with this, I don't know, the Paris Hilton thing just still blows my mind why they gravitate to that. (laughs) And I was like, all right, man, look, I was like, and I should have known better because if, you know, he's with uh, his his friend, I can't remember. Um, obviously, a marriage to a uh, female Paris Hilton is not going to work for for a million reasons. It's a political tool. It goes against who he is. And I should have known that my my players are were not going to let that kind of thing stay. Right. You can't and, do this to them. Yes. <laughs> He's and not living like, his best life. <laughs> yes. And I that's that's who they are. And I and I love them because as just a complete dumpster fire, they are as a party sometimes <laughs> they are always down to like literally do the right thing maybe crashing the wedding and setting a fire 
to divert everybody so they could snatch the bride and fly off in Griffins wasn't the best plan. It was their plan and their hearts were in the right place. Chaotic right. good all the way. And they, yeah, they said they set the castle on fire um, and, and kidnapped the bride. Well, I mean, it's Princess Bride with a fire, essentially. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's Princess Bride with 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 some arson thrown in, so (laughs) it's just a little arson, you know, no big deal. Just just tiny bit, it's a stone building; it won't burn that bad. So you've mentioned a couple of times, and I want to make sure that this gets out there that you uh, run games on Twitch. So and and or play on twitch or are you dm you mentioned dm for life so i i i am um i do i just i love being a dungeon master i do um i did get to play uh for about six months before work kind of encroached on that and it was a lot of it was a lot of fun being a player like inhabiting one character one one page of rules Um, that's all i (laughs) inhabiting a character was was fun um you know, being dungeon master, it's I, I inhabit all of the characters, and I have to do sometimes five and six a session, yep. and they're they're only there as long as the players are interacting with them. And so, you know, depending on the, you, you don't really get to play somebody for too long. I try to have like a persistent NPC throughout, just to selfishly for me. Um, but also just to have this kind of continuity for the players instead of it just being kind of lord of the rings where gandalf disappears halfway through um and then you know whoever shows up to take his place they're not invested from the beginning they haven't been it from the beginning um but yeah i i like i said i love dungeon master so i do two shows uh one of them is uh, a long-term campaign we're doing rhyme of the frost maiden right now uh we're about halfway through and uh it's a it's a module it's one of the ones i've loved the most out of fifth edition so we went with it. I thought it was the easiest way to attract uh, people to play with me for the first time. Like, hey, I'm an unknown quantity. Uh, check out my homebrew on on stream. And like, eh, you know, we don't know you. You know, you're thinking right. be a, you could be a disaster. So it was the newest adventure at the time. We started in January. Uh, by the time we got it to stream, um, so we've been going for six months now. Um, twenty five, twenty five sessions in six months. Um, just I I absolutely hit the lottery with my group. One of them is uh, my partner on the channel, so he like put it together and kind of conceptualize it. And then the other three were people I literally absolutely met in LFG on Reddit. Um, That's awesome. I, That's I, awesome. I did have uh, like a questionnaire. Just I didn't want everybody's reply to be like, "Oh, I want to play." Um, right. Yeah. So, you know, I, I had some criteria that I wanted. Um, I didn't want somebody who played in like six games a week. If, if you're playing in a lot, then one, and I could be totally wrong. You could be just hell invested in all of them. I would gather that at some point your, you know, your potential investment is occupied by your many other games and thus missing one is not, it's a, you know, you lose 16% of your D&D right. experience versus all of it. So that concerned me. And I got to know him, and I think I whittled it down to like six, and then down to the three uh, that I picked. And I, I don't know that I could ever get so lucky again with who they are as people, their their commitment, their it's it's everything any 
like Dungeon Master would want. Like they're 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 great. They're really smart. They're engaging. They're respectful of each other. Um, the game, the time, everything, and it's it's awesome. And then on Wednesday, I do a show which is uh, just one shots. Uh, that is uh, its own thing that I love. I get to tell you know kind of obscure stories that I don't have to make engaging for 12, 30 sessions. I can just kind of come up with something be like, hey, can I get can I get four hours out of this? Then I do it. And that's that's a lot of fun. And I once again went on LFG and read it and sold it. Hey, look, check this out. So Wednesday nights come out play. Uh, levels vary. We'll do T2 and T3 because when else are you going to get to? And show up the sign up in advance. What weeks are you available? What weeks aren't you? You want to play the same character in every one? Go ahead. You want to play a bunch of different characters and you know show up with somebody new every week? Then you can do that. And the people that I've met on those games, I think I've played with like 25 of them. Wow. Um, that are every every single one of them. The math says at some point somebody is, you know, you just you're just not going to have all, all gems. It's just the math. I don't know where that math kicks in, but part of me thinks within 25 people, I think it would. You should have and, one by, well, at least one, at least, at the, least I, from as an older D and D player, we were talking kind of before the show about like local friend groups and you play with who's around you that you get some of that. And I've, I've discussed before on the show, you know, my experiences with bad D and D was the only D and D that was there. Yeah. Was that or making up stories by myself and rolling the dice just to see how the rules worked. And so, yeah, you think statistically you, you were at least primed to think that way. Right. Like I said, I don't know if the numbers one in 25 people, and it's not even like, you know, gave everybody the finger instead of a bunch of racist stuff. It was, right. it's, not, it's, it's that I couldn't even pick somebody who I was like, ah, if I had to pick, it would be this person. I, right. There's, there's not even any like contenders where I would go, Ugh, you know, like a maybe, maybe yeah, no, if, if this other that. guy came back, I'd kick this dude. And like, you know, no. their friends, they're some of them are friends of friends. A lot of them are just people I've met um, in LFG, and I've got. Just like with my, you know, my my campaign, I, I've gotten so lucky to have met these people, and they are some of them are so different, and a bunch of them I've gathered because of the nature of kind of one shots is that these are players. That's this right. that is that is the side of the screen that they have chosen, and they will and look absolutely great. I can't judge. I've done the same thing. I've just chosen the other side, and they, I. One of my weaknesses, I don't know anything about character um, concepts and like what they can do. I don't play. Right. You know, I don't peruse yep. every subclass. It's hard. Yeah, I can't do, read the whole, I don't, all the entire cleric list of spells. I, I literally don't know what your character can do. Uh, so there's a trust level. Be like, look, man, if you tell me you can do this, I'm just going to assume that it's true. And so as a result of that, especially when you get up into tier two and tier three, where I know nothing about like what. I don't, I don't know anything what a bard can do at level three, much less right. what an aberrant mind sorcerer can do at 15. Mm -hmm. And I get to sit back and really just, it's, it's like watching a TV show that I am kind of leading, but yet still unaware of because 
I don't, I don't know what a level 15 anything can do. I don't even know right. what a level 15 anything <laughs> can do. And so I get to see these things with these people who really come to it from, I don't want to say like, a, you know, that negative connotation of min-maxers or power gamers or whatever. Right. Um, they're, they're, I, you know, just like anything, at a certain point, yes, you are just there to either break the game or, you know, play in God mode. And then there's like another level where it, I feel like it's just very clever, like synergy, and it usually involves multi-classing. Um, and it, people conflate the two, and I don't think that's fair. And I always multi-class into the things that aren't synergistic, but I think just sound cool to get. Like, I'm, I'm all lore, and no, I'm the opposite of a min-maxer. I, I get mad because, like, my character can't actually do anything because I pick two classes that don't really give each other any hope. <laughs> but <laughs> and like you see it, and I like I love it because these they have really put some thought into this, and not because they want to break something, you know, just to right, uh -huh. but because the, they, uh -huh. these two the reason that they work so well together is the history and the and the, and the cool art that could be made with this, not um, because they can kill a dragon and but then one yeah. round, <laughs> and that's that's a cool thing for this thing that I I genuinely love to. And for all the things that I, you know, I do know or I am familiar with to see just the whole side of this thing that I've invested a lot of my time into to go, hey, man, that was really cool to see. It's it, you know, it's it's like watching the Discovery Channel, except I'm setting up the documentary and then the polar bears are going to show up and be like, hey, bro. So I'm a polar bear. This is what I can do. And I'm going, wow, polar bears are awesome. Oh, let's switch to night vision i i asked some polar bears to come and they're going to show me what they can do and that's basically what this show is um and so it's it's great i also get to uh, have guest dms which is fun i'm gonna have one for the next month um she's gonna run us through uh curse of strahd in four sessions her and i wow. work together uh, i don't know how she's gonna do it her and i work together on a dungeon masters guild uh product um, about Ravenloft when Van Richten's came out and we got on the subject about how I've never read anything about Curse of Strahd because in the off chance that I ever get to play it and she was like oh I'll run it for you and I was like ah, I don't really you know the channel and everything I don't have a year <laughs> yeah I don't like I don't I'd love to and she was like I can bang it down into like four to five sessions she was like you guys got to be on top of stuff um you know be moving and she's like, I'm going to do it. And I was like, this is this is the best chance I'm going to get. And she is so incredibly passionate about Barovia. The, the supplement was writing an NPC for each of the domains of Dread in Van Richten's. And when we signed up as a team, uh, Barovia was one of the last ones because everybody wants, you know, either the pressure or who's who's going to read the Barovia one that hasn't run Curse of Strahd and who's right. going to think it's not Strahd. So, you know, whatever. And she was like, no, I, I think she's run it like three or four times. And she's like, I just love Barovia. I'll, I'll do it. All right. And from that, I was like, okay, this, this really is your, your jam as far as this goes. And if you say you can do it in four or five, I, I trust you. Well, so you've also got, like you like you mentioned, you have several products out that uh, you have published. Um, are you published just on DMs or just the one? Or just the one. Just was, the one. Okay. It was my it was my first one. I always wanted to do something. Um, and as a dungeon master, a thing where you create NPCs is 
is absolutely perfect for me. Um, so it was a, it was a good, it was a very cool learning experience. Um, everybody, it was, I don't know, however many domains, there was seven of us. So everybody got like six, you had to write six domains. Oh, wow. Um, and we did it in I think 10 days just to, Ooh. just to, just to capitalize on the release of Van Richten. It's just to right. have something up. And we knew, you know, we knew it going in, Hey, uh, we want to do this. We want to have it out within a week and a half of Van Richten so that we can, you know, kind of capitalize on that. And it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, I was one of those people who wanted to wait until the book actually came out for the domains. Um, I wanted them to, to really fit what wizards had given us for, right. and not just like, Hey, this is a really cool NPC who could, who could exist in this kind of alternate, you know, kind of reality. And I, you know, to anybody who did that, that's that's great. That's them. I think. Yeah. Uh, I think all the NPCs are actually really good to the point where, like, you can't really tell who was done in advance and who wasn't. But I, I wanted to. I just didn't want to put my own kind of ideas on something that may not be there. So I waited. Right. And uh, it was a, it was a really cool thing. Um, I think I was helped by the fact that it was only like a short period of time. Uh, if I wanted to do another one, I I don't know that. Um, you know, cater. I need, I need a deadline. Like what having constraints really helps. Yeah. And like a hard deadline, like really keeps me motivated or focused in the fact is that if it's not in that short period of time, Hey, you guys, we're going to, everybody write six NPCs. We'll get back up in like two weeks and see where everybody's at. Look, dog, I'm not going to get anything done. Where are you at? Oh, nowhere. I haven't done anything. Uh, this, you know, in this way, it was like, look, here's your domains need to be done by this day. Bang. And that, that helped me. Um, but I don't know. And I, I, you know, I don't know anything about how writing projects work. I'm sure there's, there's something of an in-between. Um, oh, would... well there's, it's, it's with anything you can, sure. you can arrive anywhere on the spectrum of that. So. I, and I'd, um... I'd love to do one again, the, the collaboration part, even though everybody was in their kind of own ancillary little world, uh, with their own domain. Um, just like we were talking before the show, just the idea the the exchange of ideas between two people who are passionate about a subject is, is like, I don't think people can like legitimately get enough of it. Uh, just engaging conversation about something that you're both passionate about, I think is, is very valuable. And that's one of those things where you're like, Hey, here's seven people talking about one subject. Cause you guys are all right. thrust together in this writing project. And everybody go, hey, do you remember third edition? Blah, blah, blah. What was this? Blah, blah, blah. So you have this kind of writer's room kind of feel to it. Everybody's kind of pitching ideas. And then at the same time, you also have this kind of repository of knowledge of, hey, has this ever been explored? Well, in this one really obscure module that in I In Dungeon Magazine in, number, like, right. da, da, yeah. And you go, you know... Yeah, that is kind of an obscure fact for people to know. It is also exceptionally useful in mm -hmm. this kind of sphere because there are there are tons of you know bits of information. The amount of weight you give them is entirely up to you. You know, if you want to go back to the only things that matter, the TSR stuff, then fine. You know, Wizards of the Coast, and then you go to you know, say Keith Baker's uh, publishing company, and you know what Ed Greenwood's doing now. Do you at what point does your kind of official unofficial stuff stop and if if you're just open to it coming from anywhere and 
then people who know Dungeon Magazine are cool. And I don't know a lot of those to just be like, hey, man, who knows Dungeon Magazine? That can reference it. That can remember it. And it it most likely, they don't know every issue of Dungeon Magazine. They just knew it as it pertained to a Ravenloft project Mm -hmm. that we all signed up for because of, you know, whatever drove us to that, whether you had experience with it before and you loved it and this is a chance to do something. Or if, in my case, um, I'd really recently fallen in love with the idea of horror in Dungeons and Dragons. Um, I'd, I'd seen it done really well. I guess DM who came on my show and did it just immensely well. It was creepy. That it's one thing I've it? never, I've seen pulled off. I've never been involved in a horror that was pulled off well, and I definitely can't run it. It's I can it's, make stuff kind of creepy, but I can't keep that going. I think, I think weird and just the kind of unfamiliarity is it like you know i'm not sitting here like i was scared it was just the unfamiliarity that and the very vivid picture that was painted for me absolutely made me a believer in it i you know if you want to go to like old you know 50s and 60s sci-fi it's weird and if you were to paint it with a very detailed brush you could get some you could elicit some emotion out of them the descriptions and everything well, a lot and of it was not quite dystopian, but yeah, it just, there was a, I think, yeah, I think unfamiliarity captures it really well. Yeah, that, it's, you know, it's, it's space races, the space race is heating up. So it's all these things that are, you know, not in the kind of literal alien from like another world, but alien as in just being different right. were, were explored. And, you know, as a dungeon master, for the most part, I, you know, peruse the monster manual and all these things. So. There's not a lot of basically your physical setting is where you're going to get me because once I can figure out what a monster is, my suspension of uh, disbelief is gone. And I just remember thinking I'm genuinely like almost disoriented because I don't know what to do because of how well painted this kind of scenario is that everything is so foreign and all of these weird things are going on that I can't. I can't stop. And it's that, you know, where does your role play and where does your immersion, where do those two things begin and end? Right. And my, um, my immersion was more than my role play. I wasn't trying to figure out what the hell was going on because my twilight cleric wanted to know what the hell was going on. I was, I was flailing in the dark for solutions because me, Manny, the player wanted to know what the hell was going on because it was so well done. And I was just like, wow, that's great. It doesn't have to be, you know, woo, jumping out at you and scaring you. Right. Yeah. You can't really jump scare very well in a, it does have to be in the tension, in the, in the anxiety, in the, the kind of fear of the dark sort of stuff, the stuff that you, the unknown unknowns. Yeah. And you know, it's, it was the, it was the, like getting the, me to elicit that emotion was the, was like the thing that you could, you could draw it out. I really believe in eliciting an emotion as a dungeon master. Like I don't, not to be, you know, callous. I don't really care what it is. I want you. Right. I just want you. I want you to feel feel something. something. Yeah, feel something that shows you're invested and that, you know, you really believe that this this thing that's basically just a group of people talking has consequences. And if you're really upset by how something went 
that to me says you're invested and that you do believe that your decisions as a PC have consequences in this entirely fictional world that when we're down to it right. is my, my Tuesday game is five guys on a Zoom call yep. you know, doing collaborative storytelling. And when you get upset about it, I, it's not just like, okay, well, we did the thing and you know, whatever. I, I, I believe ambivalence is like the worst thing. Like anything when people are like, Hey, how is the movie or how is this? If I'm just yeah. like, eh, like it to me, that is, yeah, no, that's, that's so to me is a knife in the heart. It's so dismissive that like, I, I won't even like verbalize anything beyond like an implied sound that you get to take and know what that means. Eh. Where yeah. even if you didn't like, like it, I'm, I'm a huge, uh, it's like, that's going to sound terrible. People arguing on the internet about things that they're passionate about. Yes. Um, I, if it's done respectfully, I think there's just a lot to be said for that. And it shows that you're passionate. And when it's a bunch of people arguing, like last night, I posted a list of somebody's rankings of the Star Wars films. And I, it, I threw a bomb into a lit, into right. like a crowded room and just was like, all right, man, this is things just going to blow You guys up. just go and, for it. I'm going to sit back and grab some popcorn. Right. And just, just boom, 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 all in it. And everybody was unbelievably respectful. And, you know, everybody's an adult. And you right. can just look at this and go, everybody disagrees. And I know somebody is sitting there with their phone be like, I cannot believe I played <laughs> with this guy. I thought he was totally cool. And I he's thought gonna you were cool. Yeah, he's going to tell me Solo is better than Empire Strikes. Like, <laughs> what? Like calling the white from the neck. Baby, you're not going to believe this. Um, and that that kind of passion, I, I like. I, I love it. I just do. I know everybody. No, I think you know, nobody's I mad. often will, will play devil's advocate in an argument, not because I believe in the oh. opposing situation, but because I want to know how well you can defend your side. Yeah. Because if you can defend your side with, you know, logic facts or in, in, in a subjective form, you know, a strong emotional response with anecdotes about how it relates to your life, then, then you, then you win. Then mm -hmm. I, because I can't hold the devil. I can only hold devil's advocate so high, yeah. especially if I'm just playing that role. If I have an opposing opinion, then I will come at it with the same, you know, breadth of emotion. But if I'm just using it as a litmus test to see, yeah, are you ambivalent about this? Do you give up halfway through because you don't actually care? Or are you going to pull up, you know, your childhood memories and the room that you were in when you saw the movie or whatever the case may be that like, those are the responses I want out of somebody. And it, it can be somewhat contagious, like in a Dungeons and Dragons group, where if, one person does all those things, either draws from, you know, their character's backstory and just is, you know, exemplifying that. Or if it goes through a little deeper of, you know, from the person that this is why something happens. And if you can convey that through the game, then your other people, especially in like my Tuesday game, because those guys are great. It might not fit them. It might not fit their character. But if one of them is absolutely hell-bent that they have to do something, the other three are going. We're, we're doing this. Is this stupid? Crash in the wedding. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, is this dumb? Probably. Do we know what's going to happen? Absolutely not. Are we going to do this? You're damn right we are. Oh, and, yeah. <laughs> right. And all it took was one person being exceptionally passionate about it. And now you have the entire party invested in this thing 
grabbing because, candles and burning down a castle. <laughs> and yo, Fezzik, grab the bride. Let we're out of here. No horses, griffins. <laughs> so we're we're out. Um, and you you get that. And those are the kinds of things that they help the game at large. And I don't mm-hmm. have to. I don't have to kind of be like, all right, you guys. I really need you guys to get hyped for this. You know, your boy right. really wants to do this. You guys have to have his back. You guys are a party. I'm not splitting the party. This is happening. Get on board with right. it. It's much more of like, all right, man. Yeah, let's let's go. Whatever you need. It's organic. And, They're all in. Yeah, right. And like I said, whether it's the, you know, the players doing it for the other people out of character, or if it's the characters doing it for you know whatever, I I don't really care. I just, I'm yeah. happy that, I'm happy that you guys are into it and this is what you want to do. And everybody's that, telling a story collaboratively. Right. For whatever, whatever your motivations are either at the table or away from the table, the, the tangible result is that this thing is going to happen and you guys are going to go at it with gusto for whatever reason. And that elicit listening, that one emotion from that one player has now spiraled down into essentially the party's decisions as to what they collectively are going to do without like, all right, man. So the barbarian wants to go do this thing. What do you guys think? It's the barbarians jazzed and we're doing this and everybody's like, all right, man, we're, I guess we're doing it. And that, you know, because the barbarians jazz, it's not a discussion. doesn't slow down the game. It doesn't, you know, I don't really want to go fight drow or whatever. It's, <laughs> yeah. And you know, you, you get that like, look, man, I'm not, yeah. You metagame it. I'm not built to. I'm not built to fight drow, dog. I'm not. I'm just not. Um, <laughs> I don't want to go. Uh, Storm King Slender did that. I have a. I had a draconic line sorcerer. So guess what? They weren't going to do. They were not going to do the fire giants. They just yep. weren't. And you know, this way, if this scenario happened in that game, hey, look, draconic sorcerer. I get it. This isn't going to be your your best work. But look, everybody's really jazzed about. We this. still need you. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, and you can even role play it still. But like, hey, I'm kind of reluctant for the obvious, you know, kind of metagame reasons. And that can be worked into the game. All, mm-hmm. all because you hit a spot with one of them, uh, like a plot hook, or, you know, really, really caught hold into one of them. And it's those, like I said, it's those little things that just make your world better without having to, you know, do that meme with Julia Roberts and all the math formulas (laughs) (laughs) floating around. You could just give, you know, give your NPCs an extra detail that they could just jump into or give them, make them feel an emotion, anything, anger, sympathy, whatever. And blame their trinket. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm really angry because I flipped this coin and I dropped it. It fell between the boards of the bar and Ooh, I tore, lost I tore, my lucky coin. I tore the floorboards up and now the city guards here. Yeah. Um, and they're not very understanding about my you know, spontaneous renovation project. <laughs> well, so you also are, so you're on Twitch, you're, you've got a discord community. You have your one shot Wednesdays, which that sounds like an amazing way to get in and play. If you don't have time to play all the time and you don't want to be in an established campaign, so you could find some of that information. You have Discord on your Twitter as well. There will be links in the description for all of this. Also, like I said, YouTube, uh, Twitch, Discord, Twitter, uh, DMs Guild. So uh, before we wrap things up, um, is there anything else that you would like to shout out? Anything that you know you want to have? I like to give the the last few minutes. Uh, the floor is yours. I just like main thing I want to do is say, you know, thanks for having me. Like I, I said, 
these kinds of discussions with two people who are passionate about the same subject but go about them kind of in different ways um, I think are immensely immensely valuable to you know not only just each other for the obvious reasons you have a show that needs content you know I have a platform that I would like plugged essentially but just the the coming together of of two people to have like a genuine conversation about this and you know despite the fact that I met you an hour ago it, this is a very natural and seamless conversation with some really great ideas passed between us because of our shared passion for for something and I think a lot of good comes out of discussions like this like I had I had a great time I'm gonna go bore my wife with the details of this, which she will not understand. Um, and I just, I think that the things like this podcast, where it's not just how do you build a, a shadow monk? How do you, you know, how do you squeeze the most out of your class build? The more high-minded concepts I think deserve uh, a, a lot of space because they just give everybody a chance to kind of talk about their, their particular end of the spectrum that others might not think about. Um, you know, I, I run a Twitch stream. That's not, there's not a lot of undiscovered country over there, but I've heard, you know, podcasts with people who make dice. That's a, that's a, that's a thing that I would, I would love to hear about because you just don't, I don't know any dice makers. And so all those kinds of things just feed the knowledge and just kind of feed everybody and make this community better. And I, I want to say thank you for having me. That was my, that's my takeaway. Well, no, thank you. I mean, like you said, it's it's a lot of the theme of this podcast today has been the little things. And I think that the little things are big things. And I think that, you know, having these kind of, as you call them, high-minded discussions or just the community aspect, seeing a different aspect of the community, getting people to hang out and talk about the passions that they have in their life in this space. That's what I want to present. And I, I want to thank you so much for coming on because I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. This has been amazing. And uh, I want to say that uh, the, the there's going to be a little bit more. So if you're not, if you haven't hung up this episode yet, if you have stuck with us uh, to the hour and 20 mark, then uh, on the Patreon episode, I will have a few sharp questions about uh best and worst in the world of cooking so oh, I, okay. there's a if you've got a horror story or two then uh then we might get uh, into a little bit of that <laughs> i could not convey a burn or scars <laughs> through uh an audio podcast but if i could i would yeah i can show you pieces of my missing yeah all kinds of stuff so yeah stick around so, for like the food part yeah Stick around for that. Uh, we may hit a few other D&D pieces as well. So uh, that comes at you at the $5 and above level. It comes out to about $1.20 per episode. You get at minimum four bonus episodes per month of the Dungeons & Dragons podcast. So we're going to go record that. Manny, thank you so much for joining me. All right, thanks for having me, man. This was, a, this was a lot of fun. I hope we get to do it again sometime. So that's all for the episode today. Thank you all so much for listening. All of the links and contact information discussed in this episode can be found down in the show notes. And if you want to keep in touch, you will find that I am most active on Twitter at A-N-D-D-I-N-N-E-R-S, that's and dinners. If you are interested in supporting the show or you want to get access to the entire backlog of exclusive bonus episodes like today's not-so-mini-mini-sode, 
where Manny and I get to expressing ourselves, talking about personification mechanics, burning through character sheets using one-shots, various campfire stories, or you're just interested in helping keep this podcast ad-free, consider tossing a few coins over to patreon.com slash dungeonsanddinners. If you're looking for other great podcasts to listen to, check out my other broadcast, Pick Up Your Sticks. It's a long-form podcast about why gaming matters, co-hosted by myself and my dear friend Walker Near. I'm really excited to be sharing this journey with you, and remember that love is the secret ingredient. Have a good day, friend. Thanks for stopping by.